You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. My bookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me this episode is Will Salmon from The Athletic. Will, we'll go ahead and get straight to it. Uh, a lot of a busy Sunday for the Gators and playing FSU in basketball. Uh, you got to head over there to, to the O-Dome and, and work on some basketball coverage. So we'll get uh, straight into this Vanderbilt uh, you know, uh, review here. But we, we wondered just how Florida would respond after last week's loss to Georgia and after a slow first half. Gators put the pedal to the metal in the second half in a 56 to nothing win for Florida. Yeah, that was the biggest storyline coming out of uh, that Georgia game was whether or not Georgia will would again beat the Gators twice, I guess. Uh, that's what everybody was kind of talking about. And we wanted to kind of see what type of team and what kind of program Damon had um, as far as its character goes and if they could shrug that off and sort of just focus on their next set of their next set of goals after not being able to beat Georgia and kind of focus on what they have left, which, you know, still is plentiful. I mean, they still, they can still get a, you know, a 10 win regular season and another new year, new year six uh, bowl appearance. So that's, that's a pretty big deal for a program um, in its second year under uh, Dan Mullen. Yeah. And still, still, an outside chance at the SEC championship game. Uh, Georgia uh, still has Auburn, Texas A&M coming up after beating Missouri, so they're going to have to lose these next two games, but still a very, very outside chance uh, for these Gators. Because, well, I mean, I, I put it this way, just to concentrate on Georgia just for a second. And, look, I don't wish harm on in, in injury on anybody, but say Jake Fromm goes down the very first play of the game next week versus Auburn. You know, uh, Georgia beating Auburn and Texas A&M without Jake Fromm would, would be, you know, pretty far-fetched, in my opinion, because they don't have a lot of depth behind him. So you have to win these games like Vanderbilt because you really just never know what will happen. Yeah, for sure. It's not a given, right? I mean, you had to win this one. And you had to, I, I thought, I also, like, look dominant doing so, which they obviously did with the score of 56 nothing. Uh, really just completely destroyed an overmatched Vanderbilt team. But you're right. You just don't know. I mean, college football is already weird enough to begin with as yeah. a sport because just you are relying or you're watching 18 to like 21, 22 year olds play a game. And so week to week, you really can't expect a whole, you know, you can't, nothing is really for sure, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so there's a lot of unpredictability going on there. 
And when you throw the element of any sort of injury to to Georgia's team, I feel like, you know, you got to gotta have to look at it, especially if it's a, a quarterback, like you're saying, or even maybe like Swift or something like that, yeah. where it's a big deal. Um, then, yeah, the, the whole complexion of, of what Georgia is changes. That's not to say that they wouldn't be able to still win those games. Um, maybe they could, maybe they couldn't. But that that at least, you know, gives you something to kind of uh, play for uh, when you when you say to yourselves like, OK, anything can really happen here. So we got to take care of our business first so that's been the approach for florida um right now uh as they head into you know another much more challenging game you'd expect against missouri which you know didn't look so hot against georgia last night but is still a much more uh serious opponent than vanderbilt yeah missouri playing with a backup quarterback there georgia lawrence cager did go down three offensive linemen did go down for georgia as well so you know we'll see uh, where they're at uh, when they uh, play Auburn next week. But Gators had to win this game versus Vanderbilt and won it in blowout fashion, 56 to nothing. Before we get get to breaking down the game, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there. Also, listen and subscribe on the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators breakdown. So let's take a look at the game, Will, and how it played out here. You know, the, the Gators start uh, not scoring in the first quarter for the second straight game after scoring in the first quarter every game leading up to the Georgia game. So uh, now the Gators did score their first touchdown off of a drive that started in the first quarter, bled over into the second quarter. But uh, it was a sluggish, frustrating first quarter. Also for the second straight week, the Gators' first offensive possession was stopped on a fourth and one incompletion uh, you know, uh, they tried to find LaMichael P. Ryan behind the defense. Uh, linebacker bats the ball away uh, and would have – if P. Ryan catches that ball, he's probably off to the races for, for a touchdown there. But um, next offensive possession, Florida's driving. And on third and 10 from the Vandy 27-yard line, Kyle Trask throws an interception. Looked like there was a miscommunication between Trask and Pitts over the middle. And finally on the third possession and the one that spanned the first and second quarter, the Gators get on the board on a 15-play, 82-yard drive. 82-yard drive capped off by the uh, funky-looking option that was actually a pass touchdown from Trask to Piran. Um, the ensuing defensive possession yields a Donovan signing interception. Gators score four plays later and extends the lead 14 to nothing. And that would be it for the first half scoring as Florida misses a field goal on the next offensive drive, then goes three and out on the next. And then uh, on the last drive of the first half, Trask does his second interception of the game on, on the back shoulder throw to Van Jefferson where – Looked like he was interfered with, and, and the ball was tipped for an interception. So a, a sluggish first half that had Florida with a 277-yard uh, to 18-yard edge uh, for the Gators, 214 of that coming through the air, uh, 46 total plays compared to Vanderbilt's 24. Well, you could tell the Gators' defense came ready to play. They shut down Kashawn Vaughn. They were getting after Wallace, the, Van, the Vanderbilt quarterback there. They were giving the offense the, the ball time and time again, but the uh, offense just left points on the board in the first half. Right. You, you know, you mentioned a couple of times the sluggish first half, and I was about to say, well, you know, the defense looked pretty good at least, right? Yeah. You know, like they, they were ready to play right from the first drive, I thought, because they were put it in sort of like a weird position after Dan Mullen chose to go with it, go go for it on fourth down. They they really, I mean, people look back, you know, it's 56 nothing, but that was a little bit of a, 
you know, you kind of raise your eyebrow at that a little bit just because you're kind of unsure how the game is going to go at that point. Uh, because really anything certainly can happen there. Uh, but, you know, the Gators defense played well throughout. We saw some changes as well with uh, Marco Wilson playing inside more uh, in that star position role with Kyra Elam getting more playing time or at least more meaningful playing time um, early on in that game at corner and Trey Dean coming in in spurts on the outside as well. So we saw some changes there, plus uh, Diabati getting more action. Uh, talk about meaningful action and making the most out of it. That that guy, you could tell that he's no longer really a freshman now that we're like, what, 10 games into the season. Yeah. So it's like, you know, he's he's ready to go. And that's kind of cool to see uh, from Florida's perspective because you're going to need him not only for the end of this year without Jeremiah Moon, but also next year because you're going to lose a couple of guys, uh, big guys like Bernard and uh, Zuniga, of course. So we saw some different things defensively. It all seemed to really work out. Again, like you mentioned earlier, it was a backup quarterback, plus the other caveat that, hey, this is a, not only – just Vanderbilt, which historically isn't that great of a program, but it was a bad Vanderbilt mm -hmm. team too. Um, it was as bad as the score indicates. Um, all that said, I mean, you, you mentioned also the, the interception for Trask. I thought he had some good throws and some and, and some questionable throws as well. Uh, people were really interested in that sort of uh, speed option, but for me, it was just like a regular option. Yeah, uh, he did get stepped on um, by I think it was. Garage, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, it was it was an offensive lineman who stepped on him, and it kind of made it a little bit more quirkier than it probably should have looked um, with that. But but I mean, it looked good. It, it was fine. Uh, his the play the play was there. Good. Yeah, I mean, and his performance overall, I thought was pretty good. Um, I mean, he like like you said, he had a couple of questionable throws, um, a miscommunication there with Kyle Pitts, a couple of others where the ball placement wasn't exactly perfect. But for the most part, he he played well again. Um, so you're kind of knowing what you're going to get out of Kyle Trask these days. Absolutely. So, I mean, you and I were talking at halftime. It was kind of a, you know, just kind of a a straight line performance because the, the interceptions not really on him, but uh, you know, the the placement of the the back shoulder throw, uh, it was kind of there. But the, the the coverage was tight to begin with. But most back shoulder throws are tight coverage. You you're asking your receiver to go make a play there, uh, and he was draped all over Van Jefferson and the miscommunication with Trask or, or Pitts. I mean. You know, yeah, you, you don't want to see those, but uh, there were some excuses uh, for the for those interceptions there. All right, let's move to the third quarter, Will, and probably one of the most dominant quarters of football I've ever seen from a Gators football team. Uh, the Gators put up 28 points, scored on the very first offensive play after the defense forced a three and out. Trash found Trevon Grimes on a four-yard pass, and, and Grimes does the rest to turn it into a 66-yard touchdown pass. The next offensive drive took all of two plays as Trash found Tyree Cleveland for 36 yards and then Kyle Pitts for a 15-yard touchdown pass. Three offensive plays so far in the second half and two touchdowns, 28 to nothing Gators. Ensuing defensive possession while Vandy is driving. Deuce Wallace gets sacked by Mahmoud Diabate and fumbles, gets picked up by Jonathan Gennar for a return of 80 yards. Touchdown there, 35 to nothing Gators. Vanderbilt goes three and out on their next possession. All Florida does is go five plays, 79 yards, and Emory Jones scores on a 13-yard touchdown run, 42 to nothing, Gators. And we'll just breaking it down here in what happened in the third quarter. Every play in the third quarter was run on first down. Every play in the third quarter resulted in a first down or a touchdown. Gators had a 216 to 60-yard edge in the third quarter alone, 149 of that through the air. Nine first downs for the Gators. And here's the odd stat. All that 
with three minutes and 15 seconds of time of possession for the Gators in the third quarter. So, Will, you know, Florida came out after halftime and just marched up and down the field with ease, completely, completely dominating Vanderbilt in the third quarter to put the game away. Yeah, man, 28, 28 points in 315, that's unheard of. Like, that's that's like ridiculous <laughs> uh, to even consider, let alone see it happen on the field. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just up and down the list, when you, when you look at what happened in that game for Florida, it was a lot of like – it kind of checked the boxes of like everything a Florida fan probably wanted to see in that sort of game where we saw some some really cool plays from Kadarius Tony, where he looked mm-hmm. a bit – more aggressive than he had. And I know he only had like what that one or two plays against Georgia, but still uh, I felt like he had a better idea of what he was going to do with the ball as soon as he got it. Um, And then from there, um, you know, I say that, but he's making jukes and he's making guys miss. And that's a lot of freelancing there based on what the defense is doing to you. Yeah. Uh, I, I had but, the place, I had the PlayStation controller in my hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and you're, you're probably pressing every single button too <laughs> with, with effectiveness. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like he was just more aggressive. I felt like, and that translated to, to uh, some really eye opening plays that we're accustomed to seeing from him. You know, we also saw uh, Grimes have an explosive, another explosive play where, you know, you know what he's capable of with uh, yard, after catch now and so that that's becoming more of a trend for florida so again you just go up and down i thought the offensive line also uh for the most part played pretty well uh ethan white got the start because brett heggie was dealing with some sort of injury and obviously chris bleich transferring or at least entering the portal opened the door for richard garage to start as well so you have you know a freshman guard a redshirt freshman guard on one side and a true freshman guard on the other and that true freshman, really minimal playing time this year. I mean, he's gotten into games, but we all know that it hasn't been where the game has had any meaning to it. So I thought that they held uh, held their own for the most part. It wasn't – I never really looked at the offensive line and said, oh, wow, you know, they're, they're really costing them on that play. Um, yeah, there were a couple of sacks, you know, some sacks and negative yard plays, but for the most part they, they held their own, which was uh, pretty good to see, albeit against a bad team. But they could have easily been, um, you know, the, the moment could have gotten too big for them, but it didn't. Absolutely there. So uh, you're concentrating on Kyle Trask here uh, just for a second. You know, he would go on to play most of the fourth quarter. Uh, the Gators would put up 14 more points to win the game, 56 to nothing. Kyle Trask had a new career high in passing yards with 363. Trask threw for 300-plus yards for the second time in his career, making just the fifth time the Gators have eclipsed that 300-yard passing mark since the 2010 season uh, here. So the Gators now have five 300-plus passing – 300-yard-plus passing games in a season since uh, 2002 uh, when they did so six times. So, I mean, you're, you're seeing, uh, you know, stats we haven't seen in, in quite some time uh, since Rex Grossman was quarterback for the Gators. So, uh, Florida also has nine games of 250-plus passing yards in a single season for the first time since 2004. Uh, Trask has also thrown for 275-plus yards for the third time this season, becoming the first Gator since Tim Tebow he did it five times to do so in multiple times within a season where we're seeing these type of numbers from trash for a couple of reasons here. First, Kyle Trash is a pretty good quarterback and has weapons to help him out at the wide receiver position, but also the Gators need that type of production from him and have to rely on him because there's no run game uh, to rely on a consistent run game to, to rely on. You know, Trask had 363 of the 410 passing yards and, and there was only 150 yards rushing in comparison. 13 of that come from P Ryan, seven from Lee Davis, three from Pierce. So that was that 39 from Tony, uh, 34 from Emory Jones, but hardly anything from the running back position. 
as you mentioned, Brett Heggie was out, Ethan White, Richard Garage out there uh, starting uh, on the offensive line. So, you know, the run game wasn't likely to get figured out this week or it wasn't going to find a magic formula uh, with Florida having so many pieces, moving pieces on the offensive line. Uh, but, you know, it's just another angle to this run game not working and the offense having to go and run through Trask. You know, we saw plenty of swing passes to the running backs and, and screens to the wide receivers to, to you know, extend and help the run game. But, uh, you know, this offense has to run through Trask. Yeah, that's not changing either, right? I mean, not at this yeah. point. We all know that. It's been it's been that way for the entirety of the season pretty much, especially since after Kyle Trask took over in that um sec- in that fourth quarter of the Kentucky game. Since then it's been it's been that way. Uh, maybe that would have been that way even with Felipe Franks, but we know for sure that this is the way the offense is uh with the current personnel. And so you're right with uh the the amount of swings and the screens, short passing game. All that was pretty much an extension of a run game or in lieu of in lieu of, a, of actually having a traditional run game, because we know that Florida, even though it was against Vanderbilt with a terrible run defense, they still were not able to get it done. But again, it's not as if they were really trying to either. It's no. not as if they were p- pushing it through and like, oh, man, and it stinks or something like that. I mean, like they had that that one play with P. Ryan where even I think Ethan White pulled on the play and and they picked it up. I think it was maybe like second and two or something like that where they where they extended the drive. Um, and then there was another one where they where they got pushed back on. Um, so, I mean, like they, they just weren't trying for it because it's just not something that is really necessary. Uh, not not to just win that game, but even going forward, they're going to probably stick with it somewhat. But if you look across the country, right, and if you – I think they're at just over, like, four yards a carry, which puts them around, I think, 80th nationally, somewhere around there. They have less attempts than a lot of those teams. Mm-hmm. So I give Florida credit for saying, okay, we're not very good at this. Let's do something else. Let's try something else, as opposed to the handful of those other teams that are right around that same area with a lot more carries. And a lot of those teams don't have eight wins right now. Um, yeah. And Florida does. So, yeah, that, the, the run game – maybe it would have been better you would think or been more of a factor i should say because of the opponent but i thought you made a really good point in that they were also dealing with some young offensive linemen out there and and i i like garage i think he's pretty good and he has a lot of potential but he still doesn't have a lot of experience and so i thought a good way to sort of uh, overcome that or at least put a lot less stress on that offensive line was to not have them do a whole not put a whole lot of pressure on them as far as hey we got to run the ball here you got to hold your blocks and even in the passing game Kyle Trask did a really good job of getting the ball out really quickly um, on short passes on passes over the middle of pitch that ball was flying out there really quick which alleviated a lot of that stress for the offensive line absolutely there so good good uh you know, transition and for, for Dan Mullen and the offensive staff of just being able to, to figure out what they're good at uh, and, and being able to stick with it. And as Will said, win eight games along the way uh, as well. So can't say enough about this Gators defense, Will, man. The, the numbers speak for themselves here. As we know, Vanderbilt is a bad team. Uh, and the Florida defense did what they should have done. And, and way to bounce back after, you know, the last three games, I should say, you know, probably for, for this Gators defense here. Vanderbilt. Only 128 yards on the game, um, only 12 first downs, 2.1 yards per play, 3 of 15 on third down, 6-3 and outs for this Vanderbilt offense. Vanderbilt star running back Kashawn Vaughn was the only way Vanderbilt was going to win this game, and he was held in check. 
15 attempts for only 28 yards. That's 1.9 yards a carry. Uh, so two, you know, two weeks in a row where Florida's defense, you know, really stops a star, a star running back uh, here. So, and that was after Vaughn averaged eight yards a carry last year versus Florida. So you know, this rush defense did their job for the second week in a row. And I know the fan base was looking for it, Will. So, of course, all eyes were on it. But, yes, there was much more press man coverage from the Florida cornerbacks uh, here. As you mentioned earlier, Marco Wilson starting in the star uh, position in place of Trey Dean. Kyer Elam starting in place of Wilson outside. Chester Kimbrough, Jadon Hill getting very important uh, minutes as well. Uh, overall on defense, it was a true freshman that stole the show. Mamou Diabate recorded a career high in sacks with three uh, in, in one of each uh, of the first three quarters. Will, over at The Athletic, you had a nice feature on Diabate, and you look back at this game. You know, Jeremiah Moon's going to miss the rest of the season. Jabari Zaniga didn't play. Diabate made the most of his opportunity. No doubt. And even like if you, if you project it out a little bit longer, right, and if you sort of analyze that class that they just signed, we all know that it, it ranked pretty highly, of course. It was in the top 10, but we all know – the uh, the context of that where there was some attrition there and all that to say and I bring that up just because there's more pressure now on guys like Elam, Bogle, Diabati, a couple of those offensive linemen um, to actually be what their ranking is or even be better than that mm -hmm. just because you're not dealing with a full deck anymore as far as that signing class so, so all signing classes are going to feature their misses their share of misses this one the you know the uh, window for that, it has to be much smaller than it usually is because you just don't have as many players um, like you normally would. I mean, they, they lost a couple of guys, of course. And so from that angle, it was good to see Diabati play up to his potential and even more than that, because as I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, this is a guy who you can probably make the case that he's really no longer a freshman in, in that sense, just because he enrolled early. Um, he carved out a role on special teams as, as early as the opening game against Miami. Um, he's been on the field. He's been in critical uh, plays on third down in some games, even in the Kentucky game, going all the way back to that one. And then from there, it just continued. Um, so he's, he's played pretty consistently is what I'm trying to get at, despite them having guys in front of him earlier in the season. And so when Moon, who is now out for the season with, I guess, a foot injury, uh, with him being out and Grenard having to play more of a defensive end role with Jabari Zuniga out, that opens up the door for a guy like Diabati, and he really stepped up and delivered and a very consistent performance because it wasn't just the sacks with him either. He made some really nice plays on some pivotal third downs um, in the first quarter and the second quarter where, you know, he was really setting the edge on some of those runs um, and really not allowing guys to get to the outside and, and, forced, and he forced them inside. So it was just an all around really good performance from him. Um, and his speed was, was really on display because a lot of people, myself included, will point to the fact that, Hey, a couple of those sacks, he wasn't even blocked on, yeah. um, but Hey, I mean, he got there within two seconds and that's, that's really fast. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, when you at least you did what you were supposed to do in that situation, you're not blocked. So uh, go out there and uh, do what you're supposed to do. And especially the one where he caused the fumble. Yeah, I don't think Vanderbilt laid a hand on him. Uh, and uh, quarterback was there. Uh, Wallace was there for the taking uh, a couple more defensive notes. And I want to get that uh, before Will has to go some thoughts on some of your uh, tweets that you guys had to send out there. Uh, that you sent in to us. So Don Steiner's two interceptions uh, in a single game career high for him and the second time this season that the Gators have had one player record multiple interceptions in a game. 
Sean Davis had two interceptions against Kentucky. And Jonathan Grenard's 80-yard fumble return for a touchdown in the third quarter is the Gators' first defensive touchdown of the season. Grenard's uh, return is the is Florida's longest return since Quincy Wilson's 79-yard return versus Missouri in 2016. So before we get to your tweets, are you the type of fan uh, that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call it? Well, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash into your wallet. Between football season, NBA, the start of college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with my bookie. If you're uh, the kind who likes to bet a little to win a lot, then try a parlay. Pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge for you. Tired of watching the game from the couch with nothing to gain? Then head to my bookie. My bookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today at mybookie.ag. That's M Y B O O K I E dot A G. And don't forget to use promo code Gators when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at my bookie. All right, well, let's get to it. Uh, at CLT Gators says the win uh, was exactly what the team needed. Great way to exercise the demons from the previous game. Got to do the same thing these next two games. Missouri is a two-faced team. Not sure who's going to play against us next Saturday. Need to come out ready to go. Uh, note there, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, uh, Missouri's a different team at home than they are on the road this season. Played much better uh, at home. Uh, we still don't know the status of Kelly Bryant uh, for quarterback there for Missouri. So uh, we'll see uh, how, how that goes here. Uh, beat UGA uh, at M. Earl 321. So uh, says, like the changes on the O-line and that star. Thought the team looked like they had uh, – Looked prior to UGA, realized the competition was two different stratospheres. Something was off a week ago. Great response and fun to watch. Well, that was a, a lot of responses here. Is I mean, look, Georgia and Vanderbilt are completely different, as this, you know, as Michael or M. Earl says, completely different stratospheres here. But you still did see some adjustments fans were looking for the press man coverage, getting Dean out of the star position and, and making and, and Wilson playing. At least, you know, maybe it, it, it took, you know, nine games <laughs> into the season uh, here. But from this midseason stretch and some of the issues that we saw from the LSU-South Carolina games, you did see uh, in the Georgia game as well, you did see some changes uh, as far as schematically and uh, as the players are on the field. Yeah, for sure. And with the, with the change with Dean, you know, it's easy for like us to – kind of point to as far as people who analyze the game and and fans too who who are watching it and and who know what they're talking about as well um you know it's it's easy to say like okay we got they got to move Trey Dean out of there but at the same time I mean he's going to he's supposed to be at least a, a pretty significant part of not only their season this year but also in their future so it's not like they could just like say okay okay dude like you're struggling out here let's do away with you you know there has to be a way to sort of massage like his personality and get the most out of him so that it's not something that is like drastic or it's not something that hurts him long term um, because Dan Mullen brought it up after the game when he was asked about it just saying hey you know we're trying to get him in a position where he's playing with a lot more confidence and so that was part of the um, 
deal with moving him out of there for, for a little while. And, and again, I mean, like he didn't really get a whole lot of balls thrown his way, but he, I don't think he gave up any catches either for that, you know, for, for, for what that's worth. Um, so, you know, I just bring that up just because there, there's always a little bit more to it that sometimes we don't see early, you know, when we first look at it and it's always easy for, for people to kind of just like pull the plug on something when we're not the ones who necessarily have to deal with it like afterwards, you know, <laughs> or like have to worry about, well, what's this going to mean for next year? Because yeah. Like I just mentioned, that 2019 class hurt with some attrition. Um, you also had some transfers, so we're not talking about the deepest roster here. So, um, you know, you got to manage that a little bit. I don't know exactly what the answers are there. It's I just think it's an interesting way to look at it. Um, and yeah, I mean, he he was struggling earlier in the season, and maybe he finds his way because I think he is a pretty talented player. Uh, I think we saw that in spur- in some spurts last year when he was forced to play a lot at corner because of injuries. So I think that he has a lot of potential, uh, like his star ranking, of course, on uh, his recruiting profile would indicate from a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, it was the right move with Wilson, and you you obviously know what you're getting out of a guy like him. He's as dependable as it gets, regardless of where he is on the field. I feel like in coverage. Um, and yeah, on the offensive line, uh, the, the, the listener pointed out there's changes on the offensive line. Well, they, they kind of had to make those changes and it's not as if like there yeah. were too many others that they could really play it around with there. Uh, but, but they did play well, those five guys, uh, for the most part, at least, uh, there were, there was a couple of, uh, bad plays, um, particularly on the right side, I thought, um, on, on off the edge a little bit, but you know, you, you take it in a game like this, of course, it wasn't a, it wasn't that serious. Yeah, Trask has some good throws under pressure uh, as well. When the uh, the pocket too, which was pretty good to see. Um, you know, that's something that we kind of talked about a few weeks ago. Is just hey, you know, he he has to pick up that pressure. He has to know when it's coming a little bit earlier than than what he's doing. And over the course of the last couple of weeks, he's done a really good job of that. I felt like it's, it wasn't just. I thought last game was the game where a lot of people could kind of point to and say, well, this is a game where we really saw it. But we saw it happening a couple of times earlier in the season too, a couple of weeks back uh, before the Georgia game. Mm-hmm. So. It's it's a guy who's picking up more experience, and I know we're going to probably get into the conversation of like Emory Jones playing in the fourth quarter and this or that. But hey, you know it's not as if Kyle Trask is you know uh, your your QB one from the beginning of the year and from last year. I mean, this is a guy who still needs as many reps as he could probably get. Boom! That's where you, that's where I was going next. Before I know you have before before you <laughs> yeah <laughs> before I know you have to go here. Uh, okay, so. Uh, um, so at C3 Mark uh, ST on Twitter, um, Colby says, you know, good win. I'm shocked Emory did not get the entire fourth quarter to show what he could do and get reps. Ethan Watt played well. Uh, then JJ Gatorman, you know, chimes in with that. He goes, Mullen is in a weird spot. He is trying to, to develop two quarterbacks here, uh, of course. So Trask needs the reps just as much as Emory. People forget that he doesn't have a ton of experience either. And that's kind of what uh, I tweeted that. I guess it was around 12 minutes to go in, in the fourth quarter. Trash does trot back out there. And I said, I am surprised not to see Emory, but it is not, you know, it's, I said, the only reason I can see Trash do out there because overall he still doesn't have a lot of experience either. As you said, he, he wasn't the starting quarterback. He, he come in after three games, uh, three, four games in the season uh, and making his first start for the Gators. Not a lot of experience overall. Emory doesn't have it either, and, and I know the fan base is excited to see Emory. But you know, as JJ Gatorman says, that Mullen is in a weird spot because you are trying to develop two quarterbacks here, and you're still trying to win games this season. You still got Missouri and FSU coming up, probably a big bowl game. So yeah, Mullen is in a weird spot. Yeah, it's worth asking him too on Monday just to kind of go back to that and just ask him like, you know, what what your kind of thought process is, and if he kind of confirms that line of thinking of, hey, you know, which is both what you and I think is 
Kyle Trask isn't a whole lot experienced, of course, uh, as far as games. So I, that's probably where he would be leaning toward it if he was asked that question. Um, but it's interesting because, like, you sort of weigh it and you say, okay, well, what is Kyle Trask getting in a garbage time atmosphere against the bad team versus what maybe Emory Jones can maybe benefit more so? I don't know. I don't know how you kind of weigh that. I mean, I don't know exactly what you're looking for um, in those situations. I don't know what they're trying to trying to accomplish in those drives. Maybe it's something that they're looking to to uh, execute down the road, uh, maybe next week or the week after, or you know, a couple of weeks against Florida State. Who knows? I mean, I, I think it's just something that's worth talking about, worth asking about, just because the, the quarterback position is only going to continue to, to gain more interest as the season ends. And as we look ahead to even 2020, um, I just feel like it's never, it's never dull, as you like to say, uh, <laughs> especially when it comes to the Florida quarterback position. Like right when you think it, things are kind of steady and things are kind of like, uh, you know, we kind of know what we're getting week to week. It's like, well, yeah, uh, there's also that part of the future uh, conversation that a lot of people like to have because it's completely necessary. It's not something that's, you know, far-fetched or anything like that. It's, it's a, it's a legitimate, it's a legitimate conversation to be having. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Will, man, I know you got to go uh, basketball game coming up as well, but thank you, man, for uh, hopping on uh, here. I'll get to some, some more of these tweets here and uh, go, you know, go over the scores and everything that happened on Saturday. But uh, yeah, thanks man for, for hopping on. Uh, I can't thank you enough for always joining me. And as you said, yeah, man, never a dull moment. <laughs> Appreciate it, David. Thanks again, man. All right. See you, Will. All right, Will Salmon from The Athletic, guys. You can check him out, uh, check his work out there, of course. Uh, let's get back into some of these tweets here. Kevin Harris says, good performance overall. Played sloppy early, but cleaned up uh, in the second half. Remain focused and take care of Mizzou. Oh, a white helmet win. So there we go. Uh, my boy, yeah, throwing, throwing me a bone for the white helmet, uh, as you guys know. Uh, I'm not one of those believers that in, in curses or anything, and, and the white helmet does not cause – Florida to lose games, so good. Uh, Florida does get a fifty-six to nothing win with a white helmet, so that can calm uh, some people down <laughs> about the white helmet. Um, Dustin Woolbright says, "Beat the teams you're supposed to uh, beat. The teams you're supposed to, to beat, uh, and the way you're supposed to do it." So, absolutely, we've seen too many times under regimes. McElwain, Muschamp of, uh, of Florida, you know, not beating teams the way they're supposed to. So a lot of these cupcake games that Florida has had to play uh, against FCS squads or, or, or lower FBS squads, you know, Dan Mullen has blown those teams out. A bad Vanderbilt team, Dan Mullen has blown that team out. So, of course, you know, Missouri's not playing well right now. We'll see how they look at home next week. Uh, if Kelly Bryant comes back as well, you know, I don't think Missouri is quite as bad as what they've shown over the last few weeks. Uh, there, but they've had some you know injury, bad luck, and and they do play much better at home. If you go and, and look at the the schedule here, Cam the man says uh, the team came out of halftime like a bat out of hell. It was fun to see them put up a bunch of points on the ACC team, even if it was uh, against Vandy. And yeah, I mean, look, guys, we we discussed it so much last week. How would the team respond after Georgia? And it was a noon game. You know, these noon games typically have a slow start for the Gators. It's just the, the way it's been for years. Uh, the crowd was slow arriving, but did fill in the stadium pretty nice. Uh, their student side in, in included. It was a nice crowd for coming off the Georgia loss. Uh, a noon start. It, it ended up being a, a pretty good atmosphere and a lot of fireworks in the second half to please the fan base. Uh, there it was a, it was a good atmosphere. I thought the tailgating scene was pretty good for 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 uh, early Saturday morning. 
here. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I thought that I thought the fan base was uh, was pretty ready for this game and good for a fifty six to nothing showing there uh, and, and this team showing out because uh, it was a fun game. It was, it was fun to see uh, the ball flying around uh, everywhere. It was fun to see the big play return, the Trevon Grimes touchdown there. Uh, you know, Florida's this offense is. Has has been built on some big plays here. Uh, you know the the swing uh, against Auburn and uh, the big run against Kentucky uh, from ha- from Hammond. And we've seen a lot of big plays. The Tony screen from uh, the Miami game. We've seen a lot of big plays from these receivers. And just another one from Javon Grimes uh, there. And good good for him too. You know th- these. Is every week we kind of have to pinpoint a different wide receiver and what they're doing there because they're so deep. They're, they're so deep, and, and it's good to see each. Each receiver have big days uh, at some point uh, in, in the season. Good for those guys because, look, of course they'd like to play more. Uh, they, but they're they're at a place right now where Florida's so deep. You go seven, eight deep at receiver, and these guys, you know, they're 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 unselfish. All right, wait for these guys to go out there and start making start making plays and, and cheering for each other and cheering with each other because uh, it, it, it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough. You know, you're looking to to go be a number one receiver. All, all these guys come in looking to be a number one receiver, but right now. In a way, they're all number one receivers uh, there. You know, Florida can rely on all of them uh, there. You take away Pitts, you can go to another receiver. If you take away Jefferson, you take away Grimes, you take away Tony, then you got Kyle Pitts. You know, it, it is hard to defend this Florida offense uh, there, and, and, and good to see. So I'm glad the fan base showed up, glad uh, uh, had, had a lot of fun, glad the team performed the way they were supposed to, as they said. Bad out of hell in the second half, uh, and, and so fun to see uh, the Gators respond that way. All right, let's take a look around the SEC and other games of note. Man, what is going on in Arkansas, Western Kentucky? Woo, 45 to 19. Unbelievable uh, there. You got to think uh, maybe some changes are coming uh, at the head coaching position there at Arkansas because it is not pretty. I know you're switching systems from Bielema, uh and going completely pass happy, but, man, Chad Morris, whoo, man, something, something's got to give. It's not supposed to be that bad. 45 to nothing. I mean, that's a, a Western Kentucky team. That was only their sixth win of the season. They're six and four now after beating Arkansas. It's not like you were playing a uh, lower tier FBS school that uh, has a pretty good record and, and having a really good season. 45 to 19 anytime for Western Kentucky to be Arkansas is inexcusable there. 56 nothing. The Gators over Vanderbilt, of course. Game of the week. 46-41 LSU over Alabama. Alabama with a uh, terrible first half. Shot themselves in the foot. Uh, there, but LSU comes out 46 41. And man, Burrow 393 yards on this tie defense. Uh, there, Tua had 418 yards. So, uh, this game had the potential to be the shoot, uh, a shootout, uh, and it definitely turned into one. Uh, there, but LSU just basically looked like the better team, uh, the, the, the whole game. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, you know, LSU takes control in the SEC West, uh, there. So, right now. Setting up for LSU Georgia SEC championship game after the last two weeks. We'll see how it all plays out in the next few weeks. Ole Miss 41 to 3 over New Mexico State. Oh, Will Muschamp. Oh, Will Muschamp. Loses to Appalachian State. South Carolina does 20 to 15. Appalachian State, a week after losing to Georgia Southern, marches into Bryant Denny Stadium and beat South Carolina 20-15. to 15. South Carolina had a chance late, uh, but couldn't get anything going uh, there. So Appalachian State defeats uh, Will Muschamp in South Carolina. I have to wonder, I have to wonder where, uh, you know, we knew this, we knew this, this uh, season was going to be difficult for South Carolina with the schedule that they had, but man, 
this was one of the games you were supposed to win. North Carolina game to start the season was one was one of the games you were supposed to win. Yes, you somehow beat Georgia, uh, but you know these are some inexcusable losses. I don't. You shouldn't lose to North Carolina beginning in the first game of the season. You shouldn't lose. Shouldn't be losing to Appalachian State. Appalachian State is a good football team. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but now you're coming into the season. This is a game you should not be losing. And uh, South Carolina, who's been running the ball well, uh, didn't have a run game to speak of at all. The carry on joiner led the team with 14 yards rushing. Uh, Brian Edwards did have 90 yards receiving, but uh, South Carolina just couldn't get it done. Four and six overall, three and four in the SEC. Uh, and Georgia, uh, Florida's opponent next season or next week loses to Georgia. Georgia beats Missouri 27 to nothing. Jake Fromm throws for 173 yards. DeAndre Swift only runs for 83 yards. It wasn't wasn't a pretty game for Georgia, uh, but they kind of they, honestly they looked exactly like almost every game they looked before the Florida game. Well, of course, they play their uh, the best game against Florida uh, there and uh, had some help from Florida and in the way Florida was playing as well. But uh, Georgia gets their third shutout, um, 30, uh, 27 to nothing over. Uh, Missouri, Tennessee, 17-13 winners over Kentucky. Lynn Bowden still playing quarterback uh, for Kentucky. Only had 25 yards passing. He did have 114 yards on the ground, but no, uh, just can't. Uh, you know, they, they can't. They can't get anything going through the air there. So it really, really limits uh, what Kentucky can do on offense. But you know, credit to Tennessee. Uh, they're bouncing back after a terrible start to the season. They're five and five overall in the season now. Three and three in the SEC. Uh, but a 17-3 or 17-13 win for Tennessee over Kentucky. So uh, also Florida State defeats Boston College 38-31 in the first game without Willie Taggart. So they go on the road and get a victory at Boston College and Miami pounds Louisville 52-27 to the week after uh, beating FSU. So maybe Miami's figuring some things out as well. Jaron Williams with a big day. Uh, against Louisville, uh, there a lot of that was supposed to be a, a lot closer game than that, but fifty-two to twenty-seven for Miami, big surprise there, big surprise there. So, big three all get wins uh, in the state of Florida. You know, the big three uh, state of Florida teams all get big wins there uh, yesterday. But uh, of course, we were all concentrating on Gators getting a fifty-six to nothing victory over Vanderbilt and uh, setting up, uh, you know. Uh, Away one more to, to, to defend the swamp. That was a win at home. Got one more at, uh, at, at the end of the season when Florida State comes to town. So Florida can have the chance to go undefeated now uh, at home with this win over Vanderbilt and one more versus Florida State. So defending the swamp, something Gators uh, needed to do. We've had so many ugly games in the swamp over the years with McIlwain and, and Will Muschamp. And, and it's good to have some excitement, some excitement and firework back in the swamp, and that's exactly what we're getting now uh, with Dan Mullen. And one more victory to end a uh, undefeated season at home for the Gators when FSU comes to town in just a few weeks. Thanks to Will Salmon again from The Athletic for hopping on, and uh, I know he was really busy with the basketball game versus FSU as well, so we're going to go cover that. Uh, reason I, uh, If you listen to us live, recorded the podcast early so I could concentrate on the basketball game and have some fun watching that too as the Gators hopefully uh, go beat FSU uh, on the hardwood. But everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Can't thank you enough. Uh, had fun meeting so many of you uh, at the game yesterday. Uh, Harmonic Woods tailgate, uh, never defeated, never defeated. Uh, really good time there as well. So I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.